tired of offending people who don't believe in Jesus. Oh, what do I think? Who cares? Let's tell them the truth. Don't give me, they're just living their truth. Let God be true and every man a liar. In other words, if it doesn't come from the book, it's not true. Did I say we were going to take today off or this week off from the deep end? Well, I misled you. We're here for a special shortened edition of the deep end to do a deep end follow up because the evangelical Andy Stanley dilemma gets worse. What is going on at North Point and more importantly, in the American church? We discuss only that topic. This your favorite night of the week, a shortened edition of the deep end on Tim Hatch live. Wow. Hi, everybody. Welcome into the show. I'm so glad that you are here. Make sure that you are hitting that like button and the subscribe button and the notification bell so that you can get notified every time we go live here on the deep end where we talk about what's going on in the world from a Christian worldview and also uh, what's going on in the church. Most, most importantly, what's going on in the church this, this moment right now. It is uh, episode 20 of season six on the deep end. So look, last week we talked about Andy Stanley and I hate doing this stuff. hate it. I don't like to critique pastors. And I think that good pastors don't like to critique pastors because we're all in it. Like we're, you know, there's a saying pastors and public preachers have to live in the glass houses that their own words create, which means we will say stuff about, you know, sin and, and things that we shouldn't do as Christians and what we should believe. And then, and then we're, we're sinners saved by grace and we will fail in those very things that we say. And so I have always resisted to the most, for the most part, the temptation to publicly critique a, another pastor by name. I've only done that a few times in my life, but I've got to go there tonight on the deep end regarding Andy Stanley, because this is getting worse. I shared a short two minute click clip from his drive conference speech. I think last year, I'm not sure if it was this past March or the March before, but nonetheless, they have this annual Christian pastor leader conference called drive at North point church in Alpharetta, Georgia. And he shared these very baffling comments about how gay people have more faith than the church leaders that were sitting in front of Andy and even Andy himself. And so I thought, you know, maybe I took it out of context. In fact, if you watch the episode from last week, you will hear me say that I don't want to make a critique based on a two minute clip. So I found the 11 minute clip of it. And, and we're going to talk about that today on the deep end follow up. The deep end follow up. So the saying is Houston, we have a problem. No, Alpharetta, Georgia, we have a problem. And there is a powder keg brewing at the North Point Church where Andy Stanley keeps making many people question what on earth he is doing. And I want to talk to you about this. This, this is the LGBTQIA plus evangelical powder keg. And I want to say or ask the question, who knows what's about to go down? Who knows? Who knows? This could be huge. We might be in a Martin Luther Reformation split the church moment for the evangelical subculture of America. And, I, and by the way, I, I really even just hate the term evangelical. I hate being called an evangelical. I just want to lead people to Jesus. If you want to call me evangelical because I believe the Bible is true, Jesus is the only way, that there is one way to God, that there is only one kind of marriage that God approves of. I mean, you know, fine, call me that, whatever. I don't care. But I, I live in this bubble as a pastor of a church that believes those things is the evangelical subculture. It is a very diverse group of people. They are not all group thought. They are not all one note people. They have a lot of differences and a lot of disagreements amongst themselves, as I can personally attest. But there are some differences where you just don't cross that line. And one of those lines is the full inclusion of LGBTQIA people into your church's membership, uh, marrying homosexual couples, uh, approving and affirming their their relationships because because of the scripture's clarity on this issue. So last week I shared this video of Andy Stanley talking about the fact that gay people have more faith than than the people that are sitting right in front of him while he says this, which is that they have more faith than pastors and church leaders and even himself. A gay person who still wants to attend church after the way the church has treated the gay community 
I'm telling you, they have more faith than I do. Okay, yep. And, and then he says, they have more faith than a lot of you do. And I thought again, this might be out of context. So guess what? I found a 11 minute clip or so where I want to scrub through it here. This is the larger context of that, those comments. And I'm going to scrub through it, if you don't mind, for a moment. Please bear I, with I me. I used that one. Okay. Where Number he actually made these comments. And I want to show you what he said before and then what he said after because I thought... I'm taking him out of context and surely he didn't say what I thought he said, which was leading to full acceptance and approval and affirmation of the LGBTQIA movement. But he might just be doing that as I watch these comments. And so I want to scroll ahead. Here's what he's talking about in this talk with church leaders. And I've been to these talks. I've actually sat five rows back right there in, in North Point Church in their sanctuary listening to Andy teach on church leadership. So, and I did that way back in 2009, I think. But anyway... The faith of the next generation is worth, and then he says this, this is a point in his talk, leading our churches to acknowledge there are gay people, not just straight people with a sin problem. The whole statement there on the screen is poorly written enough, just on the surface. Again, this, this might be taken out of context, but just putting that on the screen is alarming. We have to lead our church to acknowledge that there are gay people, not just straight people with a sin problem. What does that even mean? We, of course, know that gay people have a, a sin problem. And... Christians, of course, we know that sin is an issue for no matter who you are or what your identification is. You can identify yourself as a tree. You're still a sinner. You can identify yourself as a frog. You're still a sinner. You can identify yourself as a homosexual, uh, transgender, uh, biracial pygmy. You're still a sinner, according to the Bible. Does this need to be said? And by the way, why are we saying already in the statement that gay people, we need to acknowledge that gay people have a sin problem? Of course we do. Of course we do. That's what, that's what evangelical Christianity has been doing. And to Andy's, out of Andy's own words is we've been doing it too much toward gay people. So the point here is very cloudy already. Let me fast forward here. And I want to show you a couple of marks in this talk because it's 11 minutes long and I want to sit here the whole time. But here's what he says about how we have to lead the way forward on this issue. Listen. So personally, this is not a problem. You love people. You don't write people off because of their, their sexual preference. I mean, we all know how to love people. That's not it. But corporately, it is challenging and it's challenging for good reasons. But we have to embrace this challenge and we have to lead the way. Okay, here's um, a comment. In my experience. That I took from last now, week. This is just my experience, okay? I'm just gonna read what I wrote. If I could figure out how to get straight people as excited about serving and engaging as the gay men and women I know, we would have a volunteer backlog. Let me just pause there for a second. You have to realize that Andy has a church that is in a huge metropolitan area, Atlanta, Georgia. He also has an extension campus that's right downtown in the middle of Atlanta, Georgia. It's called Buckhead Church. And the facts and figures are very simple with regards to his conundrum about homosexuals wanting to serve much more than heterosexuals. 50% of homosexuals live in cities. That is just a census fact, okay? They don't live in the suburbs. They don't live in the rural parts of the area, by and large. They live 50% of the time in cities. So he's ministering to a larger swath of people who are homosexuals. That's probably part of the reason why he has such a backlog issue of homosexuals who want to serve in the church. And, and so he has to wrestle with how do I lead the way forward to getting these people involved? Some of them are his friends, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And he does a poor job explaining it here as far as I'm concerned in this talk. Let me fast forward all the way to the 430 mark. And let me just let you hear these comments because they are particularly alarming with regards to how he sees Jesus interacting with people. Watch. You know, if, you're, if your theology gets in the way of ministry, like if there's somebody you can't minister to because your theology, you have the wrong theology. Is that Wait, clear? Stop. If you can't minister to some people because you have a theology that gets in the way, you have the wrong theology. Proper theology will always divide. Jesus said, I did not, come bring to, did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I came to bring division. Jesus separated followers from hearers. Jesus separated those who would do what he said from those who just heard what he said. And that is proper theology. James chapter two talks about don't just be a hearer, be a doer. James was dividing based on theology. James was, and, and Jesus himself walked away from people who did not embrace his theology that he was the Christ, the son of the living God. That's why the Pharisees hated him and rejected him and turned against him and sided with the chief priests and the religious leaders to execute him. His theology absolutely 
prohibited him from ministering to the crowds. There comes a point in uh, Mark's gospel, Matthew's gospel, Matthew 13, where he stops teaching people directly and starts speaking in parables. And the reason why he explains to the disciples why he's moved away from clear teaching to parables is because they're hearing, but they're not perceiving. This is Isaiah 6 language. They're hearing, but they're not listening. They're seeing, but they're not perceiving. And their hearts are hardened and their eyes are dull. Their ears are dull. So, so he picks up on Isaiah 6 language to say, look, sometimes the word of God just comes and further hardens hard hearts because they will not receive what has been given to them. And so he says, I've given you the secrets to his disciples, but to them, I'm speaking in parables that the prophecy of Isaiah might be fulfilled. In other words, again, his very accurate theology, because you don't get any more accurate than Jesus' theology, prohibited him from speaking to those who would reject what he had already given them. So right there, Andy is trying to sound cute with uh, how to do church, and it's not falling correctly biblically. I'm just letting you know. Let's go on. And this is what drove the Pharisees crazy. It's like, how can you go there? Jesus is like, because they're there. That's why I'm going there. Yeah, but don't you know about them? She's like, I just don't see the world that way. Here's how I see the world. There are people lost to God and there are people who've connected with God. So I just wanna help disconnected people get connected. I'm, I'm a simple person. That's what I do. Wrong. That's not what Jesus said. These are words that he has invented out of thin air. Jesus never said, that's not how I see the world. Jesus called all men to repent as John the Baptist before him did. And he called on all people to see him as the way, the truth and life, God in the flesh. Um, but uh, this is really, again, cute theology, cute preaching, not accurate biblical preaching. And again, we, we see this commonly with Andy Stanley because Andy Stanley, you have to remember his, his history. He is the son of Charles Stanley who died, who was died in the world Baptist and old school, traditional Baptist, you know, very, you know, pews, padded pews, curtains, a big world map behind him as he preaches. If you've seen him on TV, probably, um, I understand that Andy, he embraced the seeker sensitive model to the nth degree that was introduced to the evangelical church by uh, Willow Creek pastor Bill Hybels of the 1980s, Rick Warren of Saddleback Church in the 1980s of uh, in Lake Forest, California. So he fully embraced this model of like shaping our church for unsaved people to come in and feel comfortable, which I get, which I think we need to do a very good job of doing, making sure that unsaved people can come and hear about Jesus in our audiences. But there comes a point where, and I think what happened here with Andy is he's he likes to kind of be a contrarian against all that Baptist fundamental nonsense that he grew up in and so he kind of pushes the envelope on purpose too far and he is maybe pushed himself <laughs> beyond the pale P pushed himself to that point where he's now on ice and he's skidding along the surface right toward the cliff of full acceptance and inclusion of lgbtqia people and again it might be rooted in his contrarian nature toward his upbringing in his fundamental Baptist church. Okay, let's go on and, and listen to this part here where he says something that I was also very alarmed by. Again, speaking to pastors and teachers, he says this. Here's something to keep in mind, okay? Never take someone's church away from them unnecessarily. Here's what I mean by that. Um, I'll give you an example about, I don't know, almost about a little over a year now, there's a pretty big church in Atlanta and they went 100% in on CRT. I mean, like just totally. And it not only divided the church, it almost destroyed the church. And here's what happens, because here's what happens when pastors don't understand what it means to be a pastor. <clears throat> you end up taking the church, and again, this is what happens. This pastor has been there about six years. Well, there, have been, there are people that have been 16 years, 20 years, and the people that have been there longer than the pastor had to leave their church because of what this guy went in on. He unnecessarily took people's church away from them. Don't ever, I don't care what your view is or my view is, don't ever take someone's church away from them unnecessarily. That's bad leadership and it's bad discipleship. Okay, hold on. He just got done saying that Jesus basically did that to the Pharisees because he didn't see the world the way they did, right? So they couldn't be part of his movement because they didn't see the world the way he did. So didn't he just take their church away from him, them? And then he turns it and says, now don't do that as a pastor, but you just encourage them to do that with regards to uh, reaching the lost. Like sometimes, and, and there is a balancing act in pastoring that you have to balance the fact that you have to feed God's people, but you also have to reach 
unsaved people as a church. That is the mission of the church. There is no question about that. Matthew chapter 28 makes that clear. Paul the apostle makes that clear repeatedly in the gospels, uh, in the epistles. This is the point of the gospels, by the way, John chapter 20. These things are written that you might believe and that by believing you may have life in his name, right? So you, you will have to balance this act between feeding God's people and also reaching the lost. And then there's going to be cultural movements and cultural experiences where you're going to have to learn how to pastor through those movements and still stay true to the gospel, to the truth of Christianity without falling off the, the cliff here. And, 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 his, and the example he uses is CRT, critical race theory, which swept through the church on the heels of George Floyd's death in 2020 and 2021. And a lot of churches embraced, a lot of pastors got on the bandwagon that white white supremacy is the number one evil of our country. Racism is the original sin of America. And they did exactly what he's talking about. They took the church away from people unnecessarily. But, but here's the point that I wanna make. A good pastor is always going to upset people who believe they are Christians but are not, or who believe they are Christians but are not yet truly embracing the call of Christ upon their life. A good pastor is always going to seemingly take people's church away from them and seemingly do so unnecessarily because there are going to be truths of the scripture that always offend, truths of the scripture that always upset, and people are going to walk away as they did from Jesus. When in John chapter six, he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, we can't do this. This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And they're like, we're going to, we're leaving. They're out of here. We're out of here. Jesus says, okay. And he turns to the 12 and he says, are you going to, are you going to leave? And they're like, no, you, you are the, the eternal one. You are the son of God. We, we believe you have come from God. Okay. That is what Peter and the apostles do. They stay. But Jesus's words do a, a sifting. They constantly do this. The scriptures and the truth of God constantly sifts the true church from the fake church. And sometimes people are going to be perceived that their church is taken away from them. And he's using language in a very clever way to lead the church, I think, down the path of inclusion of LGBTQIA people into the church. And we're going to have, I have more evidence than just this video, but let me just skip over here to uh, the segment in uh, minute nine, okay, where he says about how when, when the church begins to shift its thinking we leaders have to figure out how to manage that tension. Okay, this is very problematic to me. Again, all of this is in the context of homosexuality in the church, in the evangelical church. So watch what he says here. Shrewd, we need to be more snake-like in the appropriate Jesus kind of way, which means when people need to begin shifting their thinking, you don't get up and announce, you disciple and you teach people. So there are people on the, when it comes to the LGBTQ community in our churches, right? There's some people that wanna drag us too fast and there are some people who wanna pull us back too hard. Welcome to leadership, welcome to pastoring, it's okay. Whoa, 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 drag us, too far, too fast, or pull us too hard, like forward or backward? What is forward? Is forward full inclusion of LGBTQIA? Is that what he's talking about when he's saying there are people that want to drag us too forward, forward too fast? And then, the, of course, I'm sure he's identifying the Pharisees of his church that want to bring us back to what? Demonizing gay people? But he said in the beginning of this chat that, that we need to acknowledge that gay people have a sin problem. He's double talking in the name of cleverness. And I don't know, it's alarming. I have, I had great respect for this man, but the more I dig, the less I have respect because he seems to be shifting the thinking of his church in response to, and this is very important in the context of what he's saying here, in response to the shifting thinking of his church. In other words, the shepherd is following the sheep, not leading the sheep. So he's saying, measure your congregation, see where they're at and try to guide them along the way. What? No, sometimes you have to reprimand the sheep. Sometimes you have to correct the sheep. The scriptures are, are useful, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, for correcting and rebuking so that we may be thoroughly equipped, the men of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We correct, we rebuke, we teach and we train. Those are the four elements of pastoral ministry through the word to the church. We're going to talk about that passage in just a moment. But the fact of the matter is, is that, that Andy is saying, you have to Feel out where your congregation is, and I'm not playing the whole clip, but you can say, watch it for yourself. Feel out where your congregation is and then guide them forward as you need to as a pastor. And he, and he goes on this big tangent about don't be a prophet. Don't be a prophet because you're not a prophet, you're a pastor. And so don't tell people what they don't want to hear. What? what? That's exactly what we should be doing as pastors. I, if a sheep is running toward a cliff, the pastor has to say, stop. I know you don't want to hear that, but stop. You're going to fall. You're going to die. 
Do we do this with drug use? Yes. Do we do this with divorce? Yes. Do we do this with adultery? Yes. Do we do this with um, stealing and, 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 and lying and cheating? Yes. Why not with homosexuality? Stop. This is not going to lead to life. This is going to lead to destruction. A good shepherd warns the sheep. He doesn't just watch the sheep move and say, well, let me just make sure that they're all together. And that's exactly the point that he's making here in this, in this talk, which is even more alarming. Let me just play a little bit more. But don't take anyone's church away from them unnecessarily. And if you're in a church and 95% of the church has sort of said, you know what, we're not going there, then maybe you need to go somewhere else. But don't get up saying, by golly, God call me and I'm, you just be so careful. That's not loving people, that's something else. That something else is telling them the truth. And telling the truth is what we must do, regardless of whether they believe it or not or receive it or not. Look, some of the best compliments I've ever gotten is you offended me, pastor, with truth. I needed that though. Because true God, Jesus' sheep will always listen to his voice. That's John 10. He will, the sheep of Jesus will always listen to his voice. They will not listen to a stranger. So it is our job to give them the voice of Jesus and let the word do its work so that they follow Jesus, not us, and that we don't follow them. We follow, we follow Jesus, and as we follow Jesus, we are guiding them to Jesus. And sometimes that is not, in, most times, I'm sorry, most times that is not <laughs> taking the temperature of the congregation spiritually and then leading them forward as suits them. That is terrible pastoral leadership. Okay, there is more to be said about this. And the more is that there is a backstory here to how he got this far on the shift that I perceive of, which will eventually lead to full LGBTQIA inclusion in his church. Years ago, he, he started ordaining women into pastoral ministry. And this is, a, again, another common move of, of, of churches in the last hundred years or so, where the first thing to go is that we adhere to the principles of scripture, which are clearly laid out in, in Jesus and in Paul and Peter <laughs> in the New Testament, that men and men alone are reserved for the ordination to pastoral authority or overseer or bishop or episkopos or presbyteros, all those Greek term authorities or, or overseer authorities of the church, men alone. Now, a lot of Christians, and even some of you who are listening to me right now, don't like that. They don't like the fact that there are still some people who believe this, like, like me, like the scriptures teach that the, the, the overseer must be the husband of one wife. Um, all the pronouns of those passages are masculine. The pastoral role is reserved for men. Well, years ago, and I don't know if he's South, Southern Baptist. I, I, I thought he was, but maybe he's not because Southern Baptist the Southern Baptist Convention does not approve of the ordination of women into pastoral authority, but he has done that. He has ordained uh, Debbie Causey here, who is on the screen now. She is the director of North Point Care Ministries. She is now an ordained pastor in his church. And here's the trajectory, okay? The trajectory is you ordain women into pastoral authority and the church just slowly ebbs down toward the acceptance of homosexuality. The UMC, the United Methodist Church, and the Episcopalian Church and the Anglican Church are showing us the way here. They are leading the way because years ago, they started ordaining women to pastoral authority. And now those churches have literally abandoned in large swaths, literally abandoned God's standards concerning marriage and sexuality. You ordain women. And, and the reason why is not because women are bad is because women are empathetic. That's why. Please don't take this negatively women, but you are far better at, at, at this than us. You are far better at relating to people, being interconnected with people. You are far better at um, empathizing with people. And some of that can be a weakness because you need the balance of a man to be black and white about things. That's a man tends to be in his brain, black and white, singularly focused, uh, objectively focused. And women are relationally focused. They are socially connected. That's why they go to the bathroom in groups because they are relationally focused. <laughs> men would never dream of doing that. We, we are just go to the bathroom, get the job done, get out, right? Well, those, those differences are ordained by God. And there are two sides to the image of God, male and female. He created them in his image, right? And they're complementary. But, 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 but there is a, a role to be had when it comes to the doctrine of the church that men have been given a specific type of brain to manage. And that is an objective black and white brain. What's true, what's not true. What's factual, what's not factual. And we stand by it. And here's what's, pro what's the problem with the church. Men have followed Adam in silence. 
what happens in the garden? The woman has a conversation with the serpent. Why did the serpent target the woman? Because <laughs> he saw a weakness there. Here's the weakness. Let me get you to question the authority of God's word. And Adam is standing there the whole time. He says nothing. He knows what's right. He knows what's true. God gave him the rule of the garden. Don't eat that tree. And here comes the serpent having a conversation with his wife. And he sits there silently. And the Bible says that she took the fruit, she ate it, and then she gave it to her husband who was with her. She, she, he was right there watching it go, all go down. And so Adam uh, refuses to take authority in the truth and the dogma and the doctrine. And it costs the world the, the, the chaos that we are in. And so what happens is you ordain a woman to a pastoral authority. Now she has pastoral authority over the doctrine of the church and over the teaching of the word of God. And she has this really great gift that God has given her of empathy, interconnectedness, social interconnectivity that, that men can't even come close to having. But the temptation and the weakness there is that that will far outweigh the objective truth that she needs to hold on to. That's why God gives the woman a man. And that's why, and by the way, men, that's why God gives us wives so that we will learn how to be socially connected and interconnected and relate to people and have empathy. My wife has produced more empathy in me than anything in my life. Because when I was a young man, first married, I was a mess. I was a mess with regards to empathizing with people and caring about people. I was selfish. I was self-centered. I was, I was driven. I was passionate and, and God is using that, that, that driven and, and passionate nature, but he has, he has shaped it and helped it and empowered it and fueled it through the empathy and the interconnectivity of my wife's brain and how she works. And, and, and men have to be thankful for that, but it doesn't mean we have to surrender our authority as leaders in our home and leaders in the church and then say, well, you're better than me at that. So you just do it. And I think that's what's happened in the UMC church and the Presbyterian churches and the, you know, the mainline churches. They have literally seen the men of those churches have just taken a side, taken a step sideways and, and stayed silent and allowed women to take the authority that they are not given under God's word. And then their interconnectivity and their empathy leads to the abandonment of doctrinal authority. So long <laughs> roundabout to get to back to Debbie Causey. Debbie Kazi, again, director of North Point Care Ministries, a pastor, an ordained pastor in the church. And here she is, here she is referring, talking about who she refers LGBTQIA kids to in North Point Church. And who she refers to them, who, who she refers them to is called the Christian Closet. Watch this. Parents want to know, how, how can I find a safe counselor um, who can help my child or who can help me, who can help my family? Um, and they're talking about their gay or homosexual children. Watch Right. That's so I don't get to do as much counseling as I used to because of the there's at least 11 ministries at North Point that are under care. And so um, we do a lot of one time appointments where we're assessing, but we do refer people to safe counselors when it comes to this subject. I think there's uh, what is it called, Greg? Um, the closet. Christian, Christian closet. 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 Yeah, closet. closet. They are a great group um, and they do it over, um, they do it virtually. So you don't have to live in the Atlanta area. I do have a list of counselors in the Atlanta area that we will refer to if the person is in the Atlanta area. And so, you know, feel free to email me at debbie.causey at northpoint.org if you. Okay. Debbie Causey. Debbie Causey. Debbie Causey has a gay child, homosexual child. Even I'm picking up on the nomenclature. She has a homosexual child and she wrote a book about how to walk through the journey of loving your child and loving God at the same time. Nobody says you must hate your child if they're homosexual as a Christian. You must love all people, e even your enemies and especially your children. You do not disown your children if, if they're homosexual and you don't agree with homosexuality. Um, but she wrote this book about you know walking, that, walking through that. And now here in this video, this is a ordained woman pastor in North Point. She is referring... She's talking about the fact that they refer homosexual youth in North Point to the Christian closet. The Christian closet is an affirming organization. It's, an, it's a homosexual affirming counseling organization that virtually will zoom in with your, with your homosexual kid and will lead them to embracing their homosexuality and even their transgenderism. And you can go on their website, you can Google it, the Christian closet, and find out for yourself what I'm saying is true. And then one of the key phrases that they talk about is having a safe counselor a safe guy 
quote unquote safe. I, I, I learned to hate the word safe during COVID. <laughs> safe today means I need you to tell me what I want to hear and nothing else. That's what safe means, <laughs> which is the furthest thing from true safety. I want you to tell me what I want to hear or you're not safe to me. This is the nomenclature. This is the, the language of the modern progressive sexual movement. You must tell me what I want to hear and nothing else, or I will consider you unsafe and I will vilify you and call you homophobic, bigoted, xenophobic, racist, and all those kind of things. And here she is using that exact same language with Greg Johnson here, North Point ministry leader and director of pro LGBT organization, affirming the journey with regards to what they do with their homosexual youth in the church, in North Point church. Now, this is not the only evidence, and this is just newly found evidence of their embrace of LGBTQ people into the church. I want to show you a video from years ago at another drive conference where Andy talks about his homosexual friend who was in a homosexual relationship serving in Andy's church when he found out the guy that he was having sex with was still married to a woman. And it wasn't the and it wasn't the fact that he was in the homosexual relationship that made things sticky. It was the fact that the guy he was in a homosexual relationship with was still married that made Andy think this is getting complicated. I hope I explain it well. If not, just watch this video. It's crazy. You've seen it. You have family members, whether whatever kind of divorce it is, it's just all there and it's as painful as it can possibly be. And then some months after the divorce was finalized, he shows up here at our North Point campus with his partner. And she's here. And it was either Easter or Christmas. I can't remember. It was a, it was, it was a big Sunday. And she is mad, three-syllable mad, okay? She is uh, uh, upset. She is, you know, she's like you would feel if it was you or your sister or your daughter. And, it's like, and she got in his face and she said, look, this is my church. You know, you cause this problem. You go to any church you want to in Atlanta, but you can't come to this is my church. I need a worship-free, I need a trauma-free zone. And so you go somewhere else. And basically, she kicked him and his partner out of our church. And so they left. Well, as you know, we have lots of churches in the city of Atlanta. And as it turned out, they decided to attend a different one of our churches. And it was the one that was closest to them. So they attended Buckhead Church. And as the story goes, the very, if I remember this right, the very first Sunday they showed up at Buckhead Church was our Strategic Service Sunday. And in Strategic Service Sunday, we spend the entire time recruiting people to volunteer. And I, you know, I cast a big vision and, you know, we're going to change the world. Come help us change the world. And so my friend's partner said, hey, I like this church. I think we should get involved. So on the first Sunday they're there, they go down and sign up to, to be in strategic service and join a host team, one of our guest services teams. Well, a few weeks go by and I'm checking on her. How's it going? And she said, that's good. You know, and we talked about the, you know, she kicked him out of the church and how's that going, you know? And, and she said, well, the, the good news, I guess, is that they're back in church. I said, oh, great. Where? She said, they're going to Buckhead Church. She said, and then she kind of chuckled. And she said, not only that, they're serving I said, really? She goes, yeah, they joined a host team. Now, what I knew, and I double-checked with her to make sure I was correct, was the last I, where we had left off was he, my friend's partner, and he's a friend now, but back then, not so much. My uh, friend. Uh, my friend, he keeps referring to this guy as his friend, who is in an active homosexual relationship with another man. What? That, okay. Partner was still married. And so I said to her, I said, now, He's still married, right? And she said, yeah, the divorce is taking longer than, than they expect. It's kind of getting dragged out. So I called my buddy and said, okay, I know things have been awkward, you know, between us, but look, uh, and, and I'm glad you're in church. That's a good thing. And I'm glad you're at one of our churches. You know, that's a good thing. But your partner, he's, he's still married. So see, this is just good old fashioned adultery. Like you're in a sexual relationship with someone else's husband. Uh, you know, it was, uh, you know. So he's confirmed there that there are two homosexual men in his church serving on a serving team in his church as they are actively engaged in homosexual sex with each other. He's friends with them and he picked up the other guy as his friend and the other guy is still married to his wife. And the problem doesn't come to Andy's attention until he realizes that the other guy that is in the homosexual relationship with his friend is still married to his wife. This is so confusing. Only 2023 could produce this kind of conversation in church. But anyway, let's continue. I've never said that before. But anyway, so I said, so you can't be on a guest services team. Okay, this what? is your... Oh, you can't if you're only if you're committing adultery. But it's okay if you're in a home, active homosexual relationship and serving at North Point Church. Yikes. Double yikes. 
You're just living in, you know, this is, this is clear, okay? You can't do this. And he, so and the it, other one's not clear. The homosexual relationship's not clear, but adultery is clear. He, he, he's, he said, you know, I, I get this. He said, well, and, and it's funny now, it wasn't funny then. He said, well, he's married, but he's almost divorced, okay? We're all, he's almost divorced. They're at the very end. I'm like, you can't be almost divorced, okay? You're married or you're not. As long as he's married, you can't serve on a, host, on a guest services team. And so I kind of, you know, kicked him off the team. He said, well, my partner, he's going to be really upset about this because he loved the church and he loved the fact that we were going to be able to connect. I said, well, you know what? I'll, I'll talk to you if you guys want to come in i'll, I'll talk to you about that you've seen it, you uh, that is really wild to hear that that that's beyond wild let's just be let's just be clear here he kicks them off the serve team once he knows that there's adultery involved but he doesn't kick them off when he knows and he's friends with the fact this guy who's in a homosexual active homosexual relationship in his church on the serve team if that is not affirming i don't know what is because it is functionally affirming if it is not verbally affirming. Now, Andy is getting a lot of praise online, and I'm sure some of you have seen on Twitter or on Facebook the comments going back and forth about how people hate Andy now and love Andy. And it's funny because the LGBT crowd is loving on Andy. One of whom is this kid, I forget his name, I think it's Brandon Robinson. He is a self-appointed pastor, online pastor, TikTok pastor, and he is LGBTQ, all those kind of things. And <laughs> it talks about the fact that we need to embrace not just homosexuality, but premarital sex, uh, hookup culture, all those kind of things. He's an avowed homosexual himself, and he is celebrating. He is celebrating the progress of Andy Stanley in his TikTok watch. If you're on progressive Christian TikTok, then you've seen this video of evangelical megachurch pastor Andy Stanley speaking to his church, saying that LGBT people are an example of faith because they continually show up in churches where they may be rejected, but their faith and love for God surpasses their fear of being rejected because of their sexuality. I want to be clear. I agree with Andy that LGBT people are an example of faith. The fact that we continually show up, that we continue to demand our place at the table of God's grace, that we don't allow other Christians' bad theology and bad perspectives to turn us away from following Jesus is incredible. But I also acknowledge that as incredible as these words are from an evangelical pastor, Andy has not moved North Point Church to being fully affirming. LGBT people still can't get married or serve or be open. Okay, so obviously he's not aware of the fact that he had LGBT people serving in his church. And he goes on here and he praises Andy Stanley for the movement. It's not, it's not good enough, but he's moving forward. And I praise Andy for that. And all I have to say in regards to that video is what Jesus shared in Luke chapter 6, verse 26. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so they did, so their fathers did to the false prophets who were before you. There is to be embraced by true Christian leaders a hatred from certain people. And if everyone loves us, particularly pagans, something's wrong. Something is profoundly wrong. And I'm not talking about outright pagans. I'm talking about the pagans in the church people who want to pretend that they're Christians when they are actively engaged in a very non-Christian lifestyle and embracing it and identifying with it, such as that pastor just before us was talking about. Don't seek the praise of people. They praise the false prophets, Jesus said. So that is not a measure. If you're online, you're saying, oh, some people like what he's doing and maybe we should like what he's doing. No, no, that's, the praise of people is not a measure of biblical faithfulness. It has never been a measure of biblical, faith, biblical faithfulness. Jesus got crucified for being 100% biblically faithful and the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. He got cru crucified. So there's always going to be a persecution. There's always going to be a hatred. There's always going to be a rejection. And when we get rejected, we should rejoice because it is, it is a sign that we might be biblically accurate. The question now has to be asked this, how does Andy get here? And there's been a long trajectory and I wanna walk you through it. I wanna backtrack to where it began, where it really started. And it started maybe back in 2016 when he said things like this. He doesn't care about the birth of Christ. Um, quote, if someone can predict their own death and their own resurrection, I'm not all that concerned about how they got into the world. And he was kind of doing that contrarian thing that he likes to do against his Baptist roots about saying, let me push the envelope a little further in the conversation that we have with non-believers about how, well, you don't really have to believe the virgin birth. All you really have to believe is in the resurrection, which begs the question, why then does Luke spend two chapters talking about that? Why does Matthew spend two chapters talking about the origins of Jesus? Why is it even important? Why do they quote scripture from the Old Testament regarding the virgin who was with child? 
cloud. If it's not important, if it doesn't matter if we believe it or not, as long as we believe in the resurrection. Uh, he also said in the same talk, uh, Christianity doesn't hinge on the truth or even the stories around the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, it does. Yes. If he does not... If he's not born of a virgin, he is embedded with original sin through Adam's federal headship. And some of you got to understand that's why it's important that Jesus was of a virgin birth and there was no father involved, no earthly father involved, because he would have inherited sin from the father, as is always the case. Because the federal headship of Adam, when he abandoned that headship, he was subservient now to the devil's authority and sin's authority over his life. And we have inherited that sinfulness through Adam, every single one of us. The, the virgin birth. 1,000 billion percent matters <laughs> to the Christian truth, to the truth of the Christian faith. And it, it matters because of that reality, and it matters also because it is written about in the scriptures. He also is very famous for saying, the Bible says is not adequate. Uh, it's not an adequate returning or starting point for many adults. In other words, if we want to reach non-believers or disenfranchised believers or, not, or former believers, then we have to stop saying, quote unquote, the Bible says. Uh, never mind that that is exactly what Jesus did regularly when he quoted the scriptures on a regular basis. And, and he quoted them to Pharisees who knew the Bible. And he would say things like this. Have you not read or you have heard it said or you, it is written, right? He was quoting the Bible to talk about himself and he was quoting the Bible in front of people who rejected him. So Jesus took the stand that if we're going to talk about what God is saying, we have to use the scriptures as our authority, even in front of people who don't receive the scriptures as their authority and those who have grown cold to the authority of scripture because they no longer receive or follow Jesus or they never did. See, the Bible says when we say that there is an authority to that. There is absolutely a spiritual authority to the words the Bible says when we quote scripture and tell people God's word. And I'm going to show you the, an example of that very famous example from the previous generation. But again, this is his contrarian nature to say, I want to kind of, I, I want to eschew myself of all of that uh, Baptist baggage that doesn't help me reach people for Christ. Here's a direct quote uh, from his own mouth on the foundation of our faith, not the script, not being the scriptures. Watch. The foundation of our faith is not the scripture. The foundation of the our foundation faith is not the infallibility is not the scripture. The foundation of our faith is not the infallibility of the Bible. Okay, so that right there. Sorry for the double play there, but this statement is so problematic I can't even begin to tell you. The foundation of our faith is not the scripture or the infallibility of the Bible. If we do not trust the Bible, how do we know who Jesus really is? Right? If we do not trust the infallibility of scripture, how do we know that he rose from the dead? Except by the authority of scripture. And this whole statement reeks of the devil's first statement in the Bible, which says, has God really said? Did, didn't, didn't the devil, didn't the serpent approach Eve with that very postulation? Didn't, did God really say it? Can you really trust what God said? When a pastor tells you that the authority and the accuracy of God's word is not the foundation of our faith run run okay because that's exactly how you get people to walk away from god aka the serpent and eve that's exactly how you get them to walk away from god into sin by questioning the authority of god's word jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and what did he say it is written man shall not live by bread alone but in every word that proceeds from the mouth of god if we do not start with the word we have nothing to say Again, he loves to say that the Christian faith is not built on the word, it's built on the event of the resurrection. And that is a problem. And I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. That's a huge problem. But let me share a couple other things. In 2020, he shut down his church for the entire year after COVID started. He never reopened in 2020 because he basically capitulated to the CNN crowd that wanted the churches to stay shot. And I think that he capitulated because he's in Atlanta, Georgia, the headquarters of a CNN is in Atlanta, and maybe he has a lot of CNN people work, who work at CNN who go to his church. And so he shut down the church in their favor. And, and, and wasn't, that, wasn't that psyched about opening it back up again? In fact, on Father's Day of 2020, he encouraged people to sleep in and skip church and then let them know that there would be a brief video where he would share a message only for the men of his church. What? What about the person who needs to tune in because they just got the cancer diagnosis from their doctor and they need to hear hope and they're a woman? But you know, what about the woman who just got the divorce letters from her husband? What is going on here? 
What about the person who's young and on the verge of suicide and they need a message and they don't need to be told, oh, you're, you're a girl struggling with suicide right now. Well, this message is only for men. And she tunes out. No, never tell anybody in your church that this message is only for that person or only that kind of person. It's for everyone. The word of God is for every single person because every single person is going to be judged by the authority of the word of God. And, and I cannot stress that enough because Jesus stressed it constantly. And then, and in 2020, in the summer of love, when the riots and protests of BLM were exploding across the nation, Andy got on Twitter and wrote this letter to George Floyd. Dear George, I accept. Talking about how he was this generation's Samson because he put his hand on the pillar of injustice and racism and, and in his death, he showed the world a better way. I mean, what is going on? This George Floyd, by the way, is not a martyr. and is not a hero. He was a man who held up a pregnant woman with a gun to her pregnant belly as she was robbed. This is not a, this is, he was a fentanyl addict who resisted arrest for about 12 minutes before he was murdered <laughs> under that arrest. And yes, the cops acted wrongly. I will 100% agree. But we do not therefore deify or uh, elevate George Floyd to saint-like status. But Andy Stanley going right along with that narrative. Uh, in 2018, he said, church unity is more important than being theologically correct. Again, these are his words. In that talk, he talks about the concessions that the Jewish leaders made to Gentiles in Acts chapter 15 to embrace their inclusion into the body of Christ, saying that the early church was willing to make, quote, theological and cultural concessions for the sake of unity, and so should you and so should I. No, they did not. They made the civil concessions, the civil law concessions. In other words, you don't have to get circumcised. You don't have to obey the, you don't have to follow the feast and celebrate the feast. You don't have to not eat certain foods anymore because this is now nullified in the work of Christ. Those things are no longer necessary to make the Jewish people a unique people for the history of the world to hear the goodness of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and so he <laughs> leverages passages of scripture that are not a, appropriately interpreted to be, again, the contrarian former Baptist kind of kid who wants to make sure that non-believers are comfortable in his church. Um, this is 10 months ago when he said, uh, it doesn't matter if the Bible is true so long as it's mostly reliable. What the heck does mostly reliable mean? If it's at all unreliable, then it's not reliable. It must be 100% reliable or it is not reliable. There is no such thing as mostly reliable. Imagine you wives. Well, my husband, you know, I know he cheated on me like three or four times, but he's mostly reliable. <sighs> you don't apply that standard to any other thing on the face of the earth. And you're going to take the Holy Bible, the most important document that has ever been written, the most important word that has ever been given unto man. Okay, the reason for modern advancement is because of the Gutenberg press that that made it possible to mass produce the Bible and then the translation of the Bible into the most languages of any book ever in history. And you're going to say it's yeah, as long as it's mostly reliable. No, fundamentally, friends, Andy is misguided. He is profoundly misguided, and I want to share a couple of facts to counter his presentations so that you stay away. This is, this is a warning. And again, I hate to do this because I, I'm a pastor and pastors do not like to attack. I, I don't think good pastors like to attack other pastors, but you know, Paul says, mark them, mark them that cause division in the Bible, in, 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 the, in, the, in, the, in the body of Christ. And I think he's on the, I'm pretty sure now he's on the way there. Fact number one, the scriptures are essential to produce faith. There is no faith without scripture. Romans 10 to 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Christ is the living word, the word made flesh. He elevated the word. He did not diminish the word. He fulfilled the word. He said that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Uh, he, he said the word of God is what we feed ourselves. It is the word that brings uh, conviction to the heart. It is the word of God that does something supernatural in the person's heart. If you do not tell people what the Bible says, they will not be converted based on your reasoning and rational argument according to the mind of men. You, you cannot rationalize people into the scriptures and into the, into, and into the faith. The word of God is living and active, Hebrews chapter 4, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides joints and marrow, soul and spirit. It exposes us and, and reveals us before the eyes of him to whom we must all give account. Okay? The word of God is essential for salvation. Paul says to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with what? Not the resurrection of Jesus, 
with the sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able, what's able? The sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed or breathed up by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible says is powerful. And, and what, what Andy does on a repeated basis is talk about how we need to get away from that language because it no longer resonates with unbelievers. Case in point, his promo material for his book, Irresistible. Watch. Once upon a time, there was a version of the Christian faith that was practically irresistible, but that was then. The Bible says doesn't carry the weight that it once did. But in spite of this, we preach, teach, write, and communicate as if nothing has changed, as if the Bible says it still settles it. I believe it's time we hit pause on much of what we're doing and consider the faith modeled by our first century brothers and sisters. A group that had no official Bible, no status, and humanly speaking, very little chance of survival. Okay, so that's the promo material for his book, Irresistible, which I um, want to unpack this a little bit more. We don't say the Bible says because the faith is not written. The faith of the, the faith of Christianity is not founded on the Bible, it's founded on the resurrection, the event of the faith. And so he also said we need to unhitch from the Old Testament. He, that was very famous. I didn't even have to quote that. Many of you are aware of that. Um, so jettison the Old Testament scriptures because it doesn't resonate with unbelievers. But yet those are the very scriptures that Paul used to produce faith in all the Roman and Greek cities around uh, Asia Minor and ancient Greece and ancient Rome. The, the Bible says is the powerful phrase that still challenges the human heart and produces faith. What Andy is doing here is nothing new. It is nothing new uh, because there was a church leader, a very popular and influential bishop in the church in the first century named Marcion. And in the first and second centuries, he wrote extensively about how the Old Testament is no longer relevant. In fact, it contradicts the New Testament. And only a handful of texts from Luke and the Apostle Paul are reliable. Literally Marcion. And again, a popular and influential bishop in the church, a leader of the church said these things. It was called the Marcion heresy. And it was a huge deal in the first century of the church. And it led many people astray and it was deemed heretical. And it was quashed by a church father of the second century named Tertullian of Carthage, who obliterated this heresy. And he is now canonized as a saint in the church. And to this day, we thank Tertullian for standing strong and saying, no, we do not, quote unquote, unhitch Marcion from the Old Testament. It is essential to produce faith. It is essential to the movement of Christianity. It is the text that Jesus fulfills, that Jesus uh, adheres to, followed, walked by, and, and then proclaimed to us. The Bible says, how, how ridiculous, by the way, to say that the Bible says has no power. And <laughs> I want to take you back. And again, I'm going to sound like the old guy. I'm going to sound like Andy Stanley's father. Let me take you back a generation to Billy Graham's words regarding the Bible says, a secret that he held to when he preached in a 20th century America and, and Europe and even Russia that had you know, embraced liberalism, embraced multiculturalism, embraced postmodernism. And yet even in that age of the early parts, or the mid part of the 20th century and into the later part of the 20th century, Billy Graham still believed that the words, just reading the words of God changed the human heart. Watch what he says. I'm proclaiming the word of God. And God's word is powerful. It's quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, the scripture says. And I, I found out a little secret early in my ministry that I could have an outline, let's say, of four or five points and just quote scriptures under each one of those points. And those scriptures themselves did the job because the, the word of God is alive. It's not uh, a book of history necessarily. And it's not just an ordinary book. It's a living book. And that word gets down into the heart. And we've had people come to Christ in which I have quoted some terribly obscure passage, but that passage said something to that particular person for his need. So that I believe that I'm quoting the very word of God to this generation or any generation. And that's the thing, Paul, that never goes out of date. And that's what it's hard for secular people to, uh, uh, to understand. It's hard for secular people to understand that quoting scripture and saying the Bible says works under that test according to billy graham 
Andy Stanley is far more secular than he is Christian. <laughs> you, 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 you have to believe the Bible or, or you don't have Christian faith. And as a pastor, you have to 1000% preach and teach the Bible and not worry about whether or not people are going to receive it. You have to say it and let the Holy Spirit do the work that he will do in the human heart because salvation is the work of God is not the work of man. So uh, fact number two, uh, the resurrection did not propel the apostles to world missions. The infilling of the Holy Spirit did that. This is another common Andy Stanleyism. The, 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 the early church was effective because they, they saw the resurrection. They saw the resurrected Christ and that's what propelled them. And so they didn't have a Bible. They didn't have the New Testament. And so we don't need a Bible. We don't need a New Testament to convert people. We just need the resurrection reality. And again, that famous line that he always likes to say, if someone predicts and pulls off his own death, burial, and resurrection, I'm going with that guy. And I've actually used that in, the, in my messages before, that, that phrase. I like the phrase, but it's not the full truth. N no, friend, the, Holy Sp the, the, the resurrection fact did not propel the apostles into world missions. Mm -mm. Matthew 28, 17 says, when they saw him, this is the resurrected Christ, they worshiped him, but some doubted. They still had doubts. Uh, on the day of resurrection, in two instances, in John chapter 20, when Jesus, when the apostles knew that Jesus was resurrected, they still hid behind closed doors. John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, resurrection day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. They knew Jesus was alive, but they still got behind closed doors. And Jesus had to show up and say, peace be with you. Eight days later, more than a week later, in verse 26, his disciples were inside again. And this is Thomas, uh, who was still doubting, by the way that Jesus is alive. And all they can do at that point is just try to convince Thomas and Thomas is not convinced until he sees Jesus that Jesus is alive. My, my point is, is that yet they were convinced that Jesus was alive, but they were not propelled to change the world through the knowledge that Jesus was still alive or Jesus was alive again. They were propelled through the Holy Spirit, which is exactly why Jesus says in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, and behold, I am sending you the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until... You are clothed with power from on high. In other words, you cannot do this until the Holy Spirit fills you. you. Knowing I'm alive, knowing that the resurrection is a fact, is not enough to convince people that this is true. You need the power of the Holy Spirit so that when you preach this word, the Holy Spirit does this work through your preaching of this word to the human heart to apply this word to convict, to convict them of their sins. That's how it works. This is the whole story. This is the whole narrative. Acts chapter one, verse eight, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea. Without the Holy Spirit power, you do not have the power to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. Which begs the question about Andy Stanley, and I know his Baptist roots, and I know the denominational wars over the Holy Spirit from the generation before. Pentecostals, Charismatics were very divergent from Baptists and Presbyterians and a lot of other mainline churches because they believed in the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, the gift of prophecy, the gifts of miracles for today. And, and in large part, the, the, the evangelization of the world and world missions is due to the charismatic Pentecostal renewal of the early part of the 1900s, 1906, the Pentecostal renewal. And we cannot deny those facts. Christianity has spread across the world. It is blowing up in sub-Saharan Africa. It is blowing up in Indonesia. It is blowing up in South America because of the Pentecostal renewal, because the Holy Spirit filled the church in a powerful, special way in the last century. And we are still seeing the resonance of that into this century. You cannot preach. <laughs> you cannot proclaim Christ in power to convict the sinner without the Holy Spirit. And the resurrection, the knowledge of the resurrection is not enough. Okay? Yes, Paul said, without the resurrection, our faith is futile. But we cannot make that resurrection faith a reality in people's heart without the Holy Spirit. Okay, tie 1 Corinthians 15 to 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, where Paul talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit being necessary in the church. So all that to be said, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? And it's very important to understand that if Andy Stanley caves on this issue, many pastors will follow. I've seen his influence on the, on the, on the younger generation, on my generation, because pastors today are so amped about getting people in the church, they don't care what it takes. Sometimes they will do whatever it takes. They will forego and move beyond, if you will, uh, orthodox Christian truth sometimes in order to get people in the church. And they will appease nominal faith practitioners. 
See, when you preach a nominal faith, you get nominal faith practitioners. You get nominal Christians. If you preach a true faith, you get true Christians. That's the, that's the formula. So a couple of things that I want to say about where we go from here. Should your church cave on homosexuality? Uh, number one, they are not unique. <laughs> the church has a very bad history on homosexuality. The, the, the popes of the Middle Ages embraced homosexuality in the Vatican. There has been a report out of the Vatican from the previous pope to this one, Pope Benedict XVI, on how the seminaries are bastions of homosexual practice and it needs to be stopped. And by the way, this pope is silencing that. And he just came out and said that homosexuality is not a crime. And he's trying to appease the homosexuals. And at least he had the tenacity to say that it's still a sin. Unlike Andy Stanley, as far as I, as far as I know. But, but, but this is not unique. Caving on this issue is not new. You're not being novel. Revelation chapter 220. When Jesus talks to the church of Thyatira, he says, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. Uh, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual morality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual morality. I will throw her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into a great tribulation unless they repent of her works and I will strike her children dead. This was a church in the first century that Jesus is rebuking. This is nothing new, capitulating on sexual immorality. Secondly, if your church caves on homosexuality, please look at culture. And understand that culture, the non-Christian non culture, is way ahead on the road of where this all leads. Culture now is embracing transgenderism for three-year-olds. Are pastors in the next generation going to embrace that? Culture is advancing throuples and polyamory. Are pastors in the next generation going to embrace that too? If we follow the culture, we cannot change the culture. If we, if we, if we capitulate, we cannot, we, cannot, we cannot properly evangelize the culture. You cannot satiate sin. Sin does not stay s small. Sin grows. Sin blossoms. Sin expands. Chaos. The, the, the law of thermodynamics. That's the, the natural tendency of an organization, an organism. Chaos, not control. We need the word of God to bring control. We need the word of God to bring order out of our chaos. What else is next? Pluralism? Re re removing the exclusivity of Christ? I mean, consider what's happening in, in the Anglican church, the Bishop of York says gay sex is okay if in committed, stable, faithful relationships. <laughs> okay, really? When all the preponderance of evidence shows that about half of homosexual, homosexual marriages embrace adultery knowingly, consexual sex outside of their marriage knowingly, which I, get, I know that there's adultery in heterosexual marriages, but two wrongs do not make a right. And most often in heterosexual marriages, the, the spouse is trying to keep a secret. In homosexual marriages, the stats are up to 50% are in open marriages. So are we going to capitulate there then? Where does it lead? They're not unique. Look at the culture where it's going. And the question is, what else is next? Like I said, pluralism, the exclusivity of Christ is questioned. What else is next? On a funny note, maybe this is next. <laughs> this is an old man pretending to be a young female ice skating princess <laughs> in Finland. This is not... This is not I'm not joking. So here's the video that's circulating around the internet uh, at an ice skating event in Finland where, an event, where a grown man pretending to be a young female ice skater is in a massive stadium with the spotlights on, skating around terribly, by the way, and falls. And nobody is allowed to say, this is ridiculous. Nobody is allowed to say, where are we going as a culture? My question is, will there come a day? Yeah, will there come a day when a pastor gets up and tells his congregation, we are so sorry, old men who pretended to be young girls, how we have treated you. And frankly, you have more faith than me and many of the people in this church. Really, you should be teaching us on how to relate to you more appropriately because this is something that we don't get right, but we want to. And we're so glad that you're here, old men pretending to be young ice skating princesses. How do we get to this place? We get to this place because we start denying the power of God's word. And the reason why pastors are going to deny the power of God's word is because they do not receive the Holy Spirit of God. They do not... They do not ask for their churches to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They do not pray for their churches to be filled with the Holy Spirit, as is evidenced in the book of Acts. Wherever the gospel goes, the apostles come along and say, did you get the Holy Spirit? Did you get the Holy Spirit? Did you get the Holy Spirit? Okay, we understand that you believe in Jesus, but did you get the Holy Spirit? In Samaria in Acts chapter 8, in Ephesus in Acts chapter 18 and 19 and beyond. I mean, 
You have to receive the Holy Spirit or you will capitulate to the culture and the spirit of this age. And that's the episode and I'm done. And I know I said it was gonna be short. and It's been an hour. I'm so sorry, but I wanted to do a deep dig into this on the deep end. Hey guys, new merch is on the website, timhatchlive.com. Check it out and uh, support the channel that way or support the channel monetarily. Thank you for being here, guys. There is no deep dive tomorrow night. I wish there was, but there was none. Um, but there is 10 questions with Tim, but it's not the first Thursday. It's not going to be this Thursday. It's going to be next Thursday. So bear with me. We will postpone 10 questions till next week. So next week we'll have the deep end, deep dive and 10 questions. You get me three times next week. And that might be a good thing, might be a bad thing. If it's a good thing, I love you. If it's a bad thing, well, I could learn to love you, but it'll take work. God bless you. I hope this has helped. Like the channel, subscribe, notification bell, and I will be back for more content, with more content for you to help you navigate the cultural craziness through the lens of Christ and faithfulness to him. God bless you. Take care.